You're listening to the Yakima Chief Hops Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bigger Than Beer. At Yakima Chief Hops, we are on a continuous journey to help cultivate a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable hop and beer community. We know we have some rad, hardworking, creative, and sharp women among us, and we are excited to initiate a platform for women to share their stories, views, and contributions in the craft beer world. In this annual podcast, we will highlight and explore a new topic each year that focuses on the larger picture of the craft beer community's impact. This includes social, environmental, and sustainability initiatives with the ultimate goal of discovering solutions for change. My name is Tony Lynn Adams, and I am honored to be serving as a host for this year's Bigger Than Beer series, Women Plus in the Industry. Follow along as we shine a light on some amazing women and share their different perspectives in the hopes of inspiring meaningful conversations and positive change on this important issue. Together, let's create something bigger than beer. Welcome, welcome to the first episode of the Bigger Than Beer podcast. I am very excited to be in the YCH podcast studio today with two terrific women who I have the pleasure of knowing and working with. Before I start introductions, I do want to start with a note about the purpose of this podcast. This platform and this space is designed to be a place uh, to start conversations and see if we can find positive solutions for change um, and how we can make the hop and beer industry a more diverse and inclusive space for all members. I know the two women sitting in front of me are also passionate about this subject, and I'm thrilled to have two of them on the podcast today to talk about their career and journey in the hop and beer science career path um, and discuss how we can find some positive changes for other women pursuing a similar career path or within the industry in general. So it's my pleasure to introduce Tiffany Petra. Uh, she is the sensory manager at Yakima Chief Hops and Tessa Shalati, sensory and brewing scientist at Yakima Chief Hops. Thank you both for joining today. Uh, please tell us, myself and our hopeful listeners out there, uh, a little bit about your background, education, and kind of where you got to today in your in your current roles. Sure, I guess I'll start. So um, I joined the hop industry in 2011 when I moved to Yakima. I did not know hops were a thing before I moved here. I grew up in the land of corn and pigs in Iowa. So I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa with um, an English literature degree, which has nothing to do with what I do today. Um, but I moved out here with my husband, who's also in the hop industry, and uh, soon got a, a job offer working in a small lab. And uh, my first year there, I actually was crawling around on my hands and knees counting downy mildew shoots uh, for a research project. It was dirty and gross. and pretty grueling, but uh, it gave me a taste as to what um, diseases affected hop plants. And so I was a little bit more on the agronomic side of hop growing and um, hop science there. During my time um, at, in the beginning, I guess, I uh, was actually invited to produce or start up a uh, raw material sensory program. 
So I attended the UC Davis uh, Applied Sensory and Consumer Science Certificate Program online and just started trying things. So um, just recruiting panelists, training them, having them smell hops. There weren't a lot of models to go off of in those early days. There were a lot of beer sensory programs, but not a lot of people smelling hops and, and talking about what they smelled in hops. So um, it was new and it took me a really long time to get things off the ground, um, but um, it was really ultimately a successful program and I fell in love with the hop industry and so I've been in it ever since. And I had the pleasure of joining Yakma Chief Hops, I would say just about three years ago. So this will be my third fall harvest with the company. But what about you, Tessa? Yeah, I was going to say, this voice belongs to Tessa. <laughs> um, yeah, I also didn't really come directly into hops, I wouldn't say. Uh, I actually did my undergraduate degree in neuroscience, of all things, and people often are like, what? That's so different from what you do now. Um, but I always like to say that actually a lot of the underlying chemistry and uh, cellular biology and stuff like that really plays pretty strongly into not just uh, beer in general, but also, um, you know, hop, hop chemistry and hop science. Um, I actually did that degree because I, the university I was attending forced me to pick something. And I thought that that was really interesting. So I did that. And then uh, when I graduated, I had no plan. So I did the classic kind of uh, scumbag college backpacking around the world uh, whole thing. And uh, ended up working in a couple different breweries in different countries around the world and really enjoyed it. And um, my partner at the time was also interested in brewing and beer. And, and he had mentioned this program um, at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, Scotland, that um, did a, a master's of science in brewing and distilling. And he was lamenting that he couldn't actually take that course because you needed an undergraduate in a... Um, you needed a, a BS, a Bachelor of Science, uh, to attend that master's program. And I was like, wait a second, I have that. Um, and it's kind of, I think it kind of ties into our discussion today that it, it um, I don't know, I almost hadn't even considered it as a career path for myself because I, I hadn't seen that modeled. Uh, the breweries I worked at, the brewers were all men, everyone working in them was men. It hadn't even really occurred to me that I could get involved until I saw this uh, small opening this little crack that was science that was something I already knew I was good at and um, that was sort of the way that I wiggled into the industry um, I found that little niche that I fit into and yeah so I, I, I attended that uh, master's program and completed my dissertation and I, I think I had this job offer to to come uh, work at Yakima Chief Hops with uh, Tiffany before I even uh, completely finished my dissertation which was awesome it made me feel really valued. And I, I feel like um, it, Tiffany being a, a woman and, and reaching a hand out to me to pull me up into the industry um, was was really how I got my start here and um, meant a lot to me at the time and, and still means a lot to me now. And I'm really um, feel really lucky and excited to work for a company that uh, supports things like the Pink Boots in such a tangible way. And, and obviously with this podcast, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty fun to be a part of it all. So thank you for having us on. Absolutely. Can you both uh, talk a little bit about what your current roles, what does that look like on your day-to-day? -day? What are you guys contributing as part of the entire sensory program? Yeah, so our sensory program is relatively new. Um, it was, people have always 
you know, for a long time, there's been a long tradition of standing around a table and smelling hops, uh, talking about them, selecting what you want to fulfill your contract for the following year. But uh, formalizing that program and actually um, making it more scientific is something that we were tasked with doing. Uh, so the program, as I said, is young. Uh, we essentially recruit panelists. We train them up. We put them through intensive training. Tony Lynn has actually been one of those panelists uh, that we've put to the test. And then we use them as calibrated instruments to respond to a stimulus. So if we put a hop sample in front of you, we expect that you would tell us what you're perceiving in the aroma, or if we put a beer sample in front of you, what the aroma and flavors are, um, and, and to report those in a very um, consistent and reliable way so that we can interpret that data and then report on the overall quality of the hop sample if the citra that we put in front of you is meeting the sensory specifications that we expect out of that variety if brewers will be happy with it um, and you know oftentimes we're running others other tests with uh, new products um, we want to see how it performs in beer maybe at different application points um, so just taking all of those observations and making uh, detailed reports on whether or not to move forward with a product, whether or not to receive a product. Uh, so we're really bridging that gap between quality and research uh, with our program. And my, you know, just as the sensory manager, I'm sort of overseeing all of our different programs and our expansion efforts, making sure panelists feel included and, you know, supported and well-trained, uh, that we're able to provide good feedback. Um, we also are really responsible for providing internal training. So whether that's for our growers, uh, showing them, you know, this is how brewers are assessing your hops. Uh, you probably want to know that so that we're all speaking the same language, we're on the same page. So we'll provide some, you know, extension uh, training opportunities and showing uh, growers how to assess hops. We share that with brewers as well. And then just throughout our entire company, because everyone should be, you know, a a salesperson for Yakima Chief Hops, we should be able to represent uh, our product and our growers really well. Um, I don't know, Tessa, if you focus mostly on beer sensory, so you could probably go into more detail. Yeah, Tiffany covered kind of the overview of the program pretty well. Um, my component is kind of taking, picking up the, the ball after the hop sensory has been done and, and running it down for a touchdown. I don't know, I'm not a big sports person. Um, <laughs> But I just <laughs> get touch, touchdowns are a thing, right? <laughs> um, so I tend to help kind of um, design and execute research experiments that uh, will help us determine how certain um, hop quality parameters are impacting beer, um, whether that's a quality check on a lot. Um, to see if it's brewing how we want it to brew uh, or a new new product development is it doing the things in beer that we say it's going to do um, is it doing the things in beer we say it's going to do after six months after a year um, also you know just new product development obviously is a, is a big part of it um, new variety development working with our breeders to assess promising new varieties and their you know the way that they're they're playing in the beer matrix um, and also just kind of customer outreach. We do a lot in the beer sensory program. We do a lot of, um, support of our brewing customers who maybe want a little bit of extra feedback on a, on a beer that's either maybe, uh, puzzling them and they need a little help troubleshooting, or, um, they just want some, uh, robust sensory feedback. They they'll often send samples to us and we'll, you know, run it through our, our full 
sensory panel, the beer sensory panel has about 20 individuals on it. And, um, you know, I can send them some feedback and uh, let them know what the panel said. Cause a lot of breweries don't have the resources to, um, you know, get 20 <laughs> trained panelists, uh, to taste a sample of their beer. So it's uh, also a bit of a, um, service we can provide in the, in the right situation. And yeah, that's, that's beer. <laughs> Yeah, I think you you both anticipated kind of, you know, my my next question of why is it so important to the hop and, and beer community, the work that you do, um, but you summed it up so well. I mean, it, it goes all the way back to the breeding program that you're, the research that you're doing. Um, I found it really interesting that you talked about, Tiffany, you know, in the early days, there wasn't a model. And you also said there wasn't a model to follow beforehand, um, you know, and then I come into your lab, I feel like there is very much a model to follow. It's very scientific. It's very research. I mean, it's as lab scientific as you can get um, from someone from the outside perspective. So that's really cool to see um, from someone who's new to that, that, you know, you guys have built so much in your time. Um, It's very impressive to hear about. Um, So what inspired you uh, to enter a what would be considered a STEM field, um, science, technology, engineering. You know, that's, uh, I think, a field that um, has a bit of a reputation as not being conducive to um, women career paths. And you guys have forged your own way in that. As you mentioned, there wasn't a model to follow. It was, you know, dominated by, by men and you guys forged your own way. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I think it's really interesting that Tiffany and I entered it, um, from pretty opposite angles. Um, you know, I, I, you know, did my undergrad in STEM, so it it had always kind of come naturally to me and was always what I was interested in. Um, and so I was really happy to find a way that I could apply that interest to my other kind of more hobby interest, which was beer at the time. Um, and, so I, I guess I can't really say what, how it came to me. I think I just was always wired that way. Science always felt like um, a really safe space where I could like make sense of the chaos of the world. And it was easy to, it was always really easy for me to just see variables and understand how an experiment should be laid out. And I mean, I, I'm not that smart in so many ways, but for some reason that thing has always felt really um, kind of second nature to me. So it, I am really glad that I found a way to um, get into a career where I could do that for a living. Um, but I think Tiffany's story is actually like a much more interesting one of kind of coming from a, a lit undergrad and then being one of the premier <laughs> hop sensory <laughs> scientists in the world. <gasps> yeah, I would say I'm still trying to forge my way and and find out what the space is and, and understand. I as I've mentioned I don't really have a strong science background, um, but what I did have was um, experience tasting coffee, and um, I found myself working through college in a Starbucks of all places. Uh, they're they're pretty good to students, and uh, you know learned about the traditional coffee cupping procedure and went through their coffee master's program, uh, and just really loved tasting something and describing the flavor and describing the mouthfeel and talking about it and breaking it down into different pieces and trying to inspire other people to have that same experience. And that was my first insight into, you know, this, I guess people do this. There are people who fly all around the world and go and source coffee beans and and do those cuppings and work with 
with the growers and those who are harvesting and, and assess the quality and procure ingredients and then bring them back. And then, then there are people who roast them and see how that process goes um, and tasting it along the way. And I didn't even know that food science was something, it, it wasn't an, a major that was offered at my university. Uh, I didn't really know how to pursue something formal, uh, but what did happen, and this is kind of the way of Yakma, I would say, but um, it's sort of who you know. And uh, so the company that I first worked for uh, had heard that I had experience you know, doing uh, formal cuppings and that I was interested in sensory science, even though I didn't necessarily have those words to put to it. And uh, so when they tasked me with uh, creating a sensory program for hops specifically, uh, yeah, that whole world just opened up and I had to ask a lot of questions and I reached out to universities and just kind of put myself out there and said, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, I would love if I could observe your lab for a day, just see how the sample prep is, how you're training your assessors. Um, for me, there's a lot of just passion about, about hops and about flavor. Uh, so that's kind of what keeps me going. I'm yeah, not as strong in the finding a spe very specific question, breaking down all the variables and testing them, um, but I'm learning and I I'm so appreciative to be a part of a group that uh, I feel comfortable asking questions of and, and learning alongside. So um, for me, it's been more of a just jumping in and having that experience. So, so now it's been 10 years and I've smelled enough hops to know what I'm talking about. So how many thousands of hops do you think that you smelled? <laughs> One shudders to think. Yeah, I know. I mean, each harvest, it's at least, a, it's around a thousand each harvest. So wow. That's yeah. just harvest though, because we're smelling them almost yeah. every day. I, I don't even want to know the number. I wouldn't. I wouldn't sleep well at night if I knew. My nose is already feeling scared. <laughs> ready for harvest. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say, I think it's quite interesting. Like we both had, we entered this industry in quite different ways, but we both have, uh, I think part of being a woman in this industry and in any male dominated industry is um, imposter syndrome, which we talk about a yes, lot. And yes. I feel like we both <laughs> have it. And it's funny because I, I have it because I came from academics. So I don't have quite as much, um, you know, hands-on like practical experience. Um, I have, you know, really like robust understanding of like the stuff that comes out of a textbook, which is really useful. But, you know, I'm often like, oh, I don't know anything. Like I, I'm so bad at this or whatever. And I'm always second guessing myself. And I know you do a little bit of the same thing and we talk about it a lot. So um, it's just, it's an interesting, it doesn't matter where you, I think, I, I don't want to speak for anyone but myself, but it does feel like it doesn't matter how you got here or how um, qualified you are. It's hard as a woman to not like wonder if you are uh, an imposter. <laughs> 100%. I think we definitely round each other out in that. And it's so great to be able to have someone to share that office space with as we're designing a project and talking it through. I'm definitely coming at it from like a logistical standpoint. Uh, what's the bottom line? Is this going to serve the company well? And you're like, well, we can't cut corners here because this is the method. <laughs> and so I think uh, together we've, uh, we've made a lot of progress and uh, it really helps to have someone in your corner. That's a great point. I think I think imposter syndrome has become more common knowledge or or maybe just to me, maybe from my viewpoint, where it's now common verbiage to talk about this thing that I think wasn't ever spoken about before, where women in great leadership positions, very established women, felt like, I don't belong here. They they 
don't know that I shouldn't be here in this position when in fact they've earned every single right, you know, to be there and they've, they've made those accomplishments and those achievements themselves. That's something, you know, I struggle with as well. It's you get to a certain point and you're like, I'm just pretending until they don't know. <laughs> right. But then you look back and you're like, no, I've, I've made this journey and it's with purpose. So I really appreciate you guys both bringing that up and, and, um, speaking to it because I think it's a very relevant topic, especially in, I think, the farming community, you know, the craft beer community where it is, these are male dominated fields. Uh, so sometimes it can feel like you're very out of place um, easily. I think when you look around and your peers, you know, aren't reflected you know, the same way that you look or, or act or have the same interests or anything like that, it's very different. Um, so it can make you feel a little out of place. But I hope you both know you guys are awesome scientists <laughs> and uh, I think you inspire a lot of people. You both uh, did mention something about, you know, network, knowing people, and how you mentioned that Tiffany, knowing Tiffany um, kind of pulled you into this arena. And I think that's a really important topic to talk about of how can we help other women? You know, how can we help um, our peers get to the next step in their career? How can we be mentors? How can we be a positive network influence for those around us? Do you guys have any thoughts on that as when you think about where you got because of mentors or because of um, colleagues or, or leaders who helped you kind of get a leg up um, or just were inspiring to kind of follow. Um, did you have anyone that uh, was a mentor to you or and do you reflect back on that, say, how can I be a mentor or a leader to other women as well? Yeah, that was actually a note I put down, something I, I wanted to mention today. It was just the importance of having a woman role model to who was willing to have open conversations with me. And to me, that person was Lindsay Barr, uh, who previously worked for a new Belgian brewing company and now owns is part owner of draft lab, uh, which is an amazing program that a lot of brewers use. But she was one of the few women that I came into contact with in my early years, uh, sitting in on, in on hop selection and, you know, she kind of reached out to me and said, it looks like you're starting a sensory program. I'm, I'm seeing what you're trying to do. And I understand where you're at. And have you ever thought about uh, participating in the American Society of Brewing Chemists and their sensory subcommittee? It's a, a group of, of young professionals who work on creating new methods. It's a great space to, to tackle new projects for the good of the industry. And she pulled me into that. And, uh, you know, working with her, I, I worked on quite a few projects with her in that subcommittee and just kind of learned what it takes to write a new method, validate a new method, um, and then publish one. Uh, so that experience, but having someone that I could always go to and ask really basic questions uh, was so important to me. And now I'm sitting as the chair of that subcommittee. So wow. her taking a risk and just extending a hand and saying, can you can you join this? I'd love to. I'm I'm willing to invest in you. I I see potential. Allowed me to say, I guess there's potential there. And now uh, to be able to turn around and give back to that organization that's run by volunteers, um, and hopefully you know create more and more understanding about hops and beer for the good of the industry is, I mean that was, yeah, all because someone took a chance on me. So I think if you can find just one other person. Uh, that you can reach out to who you see is a little bit lost or doesn't quite have direction um, that that can go a long way so that would be yeah I, it's it's made all the difference in my career I guess 
That's awesome. I mean, I think my person would be Tiffany, but I don't want to talk about it because she's sitting right next to me, yeah, and I think she, she'd be really uncomfortable if I... <laughs> I'm already squirming in my seat, so... If I waxed poetic about <laughs> our mentorship relationship. But I do think that that's a really important point. Um, you know, a lot of times people ask for advice for, like, women just entering the industry. What should they do? But I actually think it's much more important what the women that are already embedded in the industry do and who have those positions because... I think um, there's this sometimes really outdated attitude that there's only so there's only enough space for one or, you know, like, oh, well, you know, we can't have too many women. So like make sure not to, you know, t- for, uh, you know, women to be protective of their spot because they worked so hard to get it. And that's fair enough. Like, but I think we have to be better about um, knowing that there's there's plenty of room at the table and, you know reaching out and bringing people on board and, and identifying people who, um, might not, who might be overwhelmed by their lack of representation in whatever group they're in and uh, making sure to just provide that support and that, um, role model C what's the noun <laughs> role modelism. What lessons did you feel that you learned along the way in regards to overcoming the adversities that you may have faced as a woman? What kind of lessons have you carried over in I think, continued to remind yourself throughout the years? That's a good question. <laughs> I just try to be pretty assertive. I think it's not my nature to be assertive, and I don't know if that's um, a Tessa thing or if that's a, a woman thing or what, but um, I had a friend in my grad program, and I won't name her name, but if she's listening to this, she'll know exactly who she is, but she's one of the most outgoing um assertive people I've ever met to the point where sometimes I would be kind of uncomfortable in her presence because of how willing she was to self-advocate and like disrupt a social environment. If she felt uncomfortable with something or if she was unhappy with something, she did not, um, you know, she didn't hold back and she, she wasn't, she wasn't passive at all. And she didn't care if people, um, were mad at her for disrupting the vibe. She was going to say what she thought and she wasn't going to let stuff stand if she didn't think it should stand. And, um, knowing her just for that, you know, those couple of years, uh, you know, I'm obviously not that way, but just to see it modeled, to see that kind of behavior modeled, especially by a woman. Cause I know a lot of guys who are assertive and have no problem disrupting a group of people to make their point or whatever. And, uh, just to see another woman do it in such an extreme way, but everyone still loved, you know, she's, really lovable woman and, um, a good friend of mine. And it was really helpful for me to see that behavior modeled. And now I feel like I, um, sometimes channel her energy a bit when I'm feeling extra passive. I think what, what would, I won't say her name, what would she do? And, uh, you know, try, try to, try to be more assertive. And I think it kind of comes back a bit to that imposter syndrome thing where you don't know if you're have the right point or if your idea is the best idea. So it's hard to be assertive about something you're a little unsure about, but no one's, no one at the table is sure about their idea. Um, you know, so it's, it's important to stand up for yourself and, and kind of speak up. And I, I try to, I try to do that as much as I can. Yeah. Being your own advocate is so important. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, you know, no one's going to tell your story for you, like, or, or your experience. It's really, you know, uh, a, an inner role that you have to take on yourself if you want to share those experiences and advocate for yourself. So that's a great point to make. Appreciate that. And people are so comfortable sometimes. And it's like, for what? (laughs) We're not achieving anything by like sitting around being really comfy in our, you know, little chairs and no one's challenging our ideas. Like I will, I want to be challenged. And I, um, and I think it's appropriate to, to challenge other people if, if it's done respectfully, you know? 
Some people need that a little bit more clap back in their lives. I think being uncomfortable is, I think that alone could change a lot for people is people want that, that comfort zone. They don't want to be disruptive. They don't want to feel uncomfortable, but how we're going to make change that we, you know, that we're really, our goal and objective is to do is to create a more welcoming and inclusive space that doesn't happen by staying comfortable, right? It happens through uncomfortable conversations. It happens through sitting in your chair and squirming a little bit, but saying it anyways, right? Uh, so I, uh, I can, can echo that um, anymore of we've got to get uncomfortable so that uh, we progress forward. That's the only way to grow. Especially in an industry that's so well established and the status yeah. quo has been the status quo for so long. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, some people are, yeah, really comfy. And my advice to them would be <laughs> get used to being less comfortable because things are changing for the better. And right. That's right. good. Tiffany, any thoughts? I was just going to say that there were many instances in, early in my career when I wasn't invited to sit at the table, but I just asked. And right. Just asking and people kind of taking, you know, a shocked response, but, oh, of course, I thought you knew you were invited or no, 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 (laughs) no one else looks like me. It wasn't explicitly stated, like it just, it wasn't super obvious, but asking for that seat at the table and uh, it gave me the experience of just, you know, sitting there and hearing what everyone was talking about and understanding, okay, I actually do have things to contribute to this conversation. Uh, It prepared me. It, you know, I was uncomfortable and there were moments where I felt way too intimidated to ask questions. But when I, there was a point actually working uh, in this industry where I felt definitely silenced or that my projects weren't going to go anywhere. If I asked a, a question that maybe was too simple, I, I didn't feel like it was safe to do so. Uh, I felt I felt afraid and intimidated and was, was too scared to ask a question. And that's when everything really stalled for me. I went to work. I didn't feel fulfilled anymore. I wasn't excited about the research I was doing. I, I just felt no growth. And that was sort of the, it took me a while to realize that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm actually with a team that is full of people who have so much energy and are pushing each other and we all fill each other's gaps and you know, I'm not great at programming, but someone who sits in the lab with me is, and so they can walk me through the steps and get me to that next level. Having the space where it's safe to ask questions and to try something and have it fail and not feel scared of the, the repercussions is only making our entire team better. And it's it's made me more bold. I would say I'm not an assertive person. I'm conflict averse. Those are character traits to my core, maybe because I'm a woman, also because I'm Tiffany. Uh, so, uh, but but going through and having questions answered and validated has made me speak up more because I I see that I do have something to contribute and uh, we can we can go further. And why not say it? I mean, most things that you're going to say at work are it's going to be okay. <laughs> you can work through it. Be polite and respectful, uh, but it's it's okay to say what's on your mind. So I, I say if there's not a seat that's been labeled with your name, just go and ask if you can pull up an extra chair and I, I bet they'll say yes. And if they don't, then maybe reassess why you're not, why you're not being invited to that table and um, make a change. I think that's amazing advice, excellent advice. Um, I think that's one of the things that people could definitely take away, myself can take away 
um, from this conversation alone of, of being mindful of that. If, if there's not a space or you haven't received the invite, ask for the invite. You never know. I, I think that's a, a great takeaway for today. Um, so based on, you know, I think this is kind of the meat of, of the topic that we're talking about, but based on your own personal experiences, what are some ways that you feel STEM or the beer industry and the hop industry um, could be more inclusive and empowering for women? What are some tangible ways that you, you kind of think of that come to mind of, of how we could make a more inclusive space? I think I mentioned pink boots earlier, and I think um, education is a great way to achieve outcomes, um, not just like educating people who um, are less represented, which I think is huge because again, going back to the imposter syndrome stuff, it's harder, the more, edu- the more like experience and education you have, the harder it is to feel like an imposter. You still will probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it takes the edge off for sure. Um, but also, I mean, I think that educating, um, the, the people who are comfortable will say, um, could also go a really long way. Um, you know, it, it's, I feel like they're, you know, being women in the industry, we're quite interested in women in the industry. Um, this podcast will probably be primarily listened to by women in the industry, but, um, that's perhaps not even actually the audience that needs to hear the message the most. And, um, finding a way to sort of expand that educational component. I I don't know. I was at a, um, like a DEI seminar at the um, Texas craft brewers conference a little while ago. And I was looking around, it was a panel and they were, they were speaking about DEI and in the brewery. And, um, like you said, actionable ways that any brewery could kind of start improving their, the diversity within, um, their staff and their clientele. Um, and I was looking around at the, at the seminar and it was all either women or people of color or, or, or both, um, or, you know, non-binary people. I was just looking around and I was like, I don't see a lot of, um, you know, cis white men in this room. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Cause I feel like perhaps that's the demographic that, um, <laughs> needs to hear this message the most. So I don't really know, I guess I'm not really offering a tangible suggestion other than that, um, anyone who is able to to make those types of decisions, to push that kind of education on the populations that actually need it the most. I feel like that could go a really long way because, you know, we've been, we've been, um, trying to spread this message for a long time, but I don't know if it's always getting into the ears of the people who, um, can, could help make an even bigger difference. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there's something that an effect that happens when you look at a picture of all women in brewing boots and they're holding raw materials and they're cheersing with a beer. That's great. That's like powerful, but it also just needs to be that when you flash up a picture, or you say the word brewer, it shouldn't be that only a white guy with a beard is coming to mind. Uh, just that, you know, on the, on the front page of a website, it doesn't have to be a guy drinking a beer. It can be a woman drinking a beer. And, and that makes sense. I think, reframing the narrative and and putting representation that's not oh well women can be in brewing if they're with other women who are in brewing like tokenism kind of yeah i don't know how to talk about it more than that but 
I guess that's just something that I think it's worth saying. We just did a photo shoot here. Okay, let's look around and who's in this who's in this frame. Does this what message does this send to, you know, anyone? It's weird because we're in the beer industry, so when I talk about youth joining, uh, that's kind of a, a weird <laughs> thing. But I had the opportunity to do a STEM like me program uh, in one of the middle schools here, and a few of us just uh, went. There was someone from. Uh, treetop uh there was someone from two two of us from yakima chief and a few other local uh companies and we went and talked to middle schoolers and just told them what we do and i didn't really want to talk about hops or beer too much but it was so fun to talk about you know there's a person who wants to reduce the amount of salt that our country consumes so they work for a cracker company and they just take away a little bit of salt each time and they have a big group of people who taste those samples and the minute they say "Ugh, this is bland and gross they say okay well that's the limit of how much salt we can take away and it's going to be result in a healthier healthier product that hopefully our consumers love and, and want to taste or you know they like eating takis or a flaming hot cheetos so that's a really good example to use with them too like there's someone who's formulating those flavors and putting them on chips and then they get to train people or have consumers eat them like doesn't that sound amazing i didn't know food science existed uh, even when i was a, a college student so getting that into the minds and having um, a person just introduce that there are these science careers out there that are really practical and exciting they're not just you're not in a lab i mean some people like just pipetting into something else or running mad science experiments, but there's also things like every single day, every chip that you eat, there were this many people working on it. Every, you know, the, the soap that you use in the shower, someone formulated that and tested the aroma of that. Uh, trying to make people see that science is all around them, I think, um, and, and doing that in a classroom and trying to really show young kids that uh, they could pursue a career in this and that they're invited and there are people who look like them doing it. So um, trying to pique their interest and then also make it accessible and applicable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think those are, are great points, both, you know, very different points um, and so valid and, and helpful. Um, you know, Tessa, I think to, to your point about looking around the room on resources and groups, you know, educational opportunities and not seeing what you're hoping to see, right? You're, you're hoping to see um, the audience that you think would really benefit, right? From, from the education, from the resources. Um, and to be completely candid, when we were starting and formulating this podcast and getting it, this is a conversation we had very recently about what we don't want is for this to be a podcast only listened to by women. I mean, it's, it's not... That's not the goal. The goal is for it to be listened to by all sorts of audiences and then to be a resource. Um, so how do we how do we do that? That's the question. How do we make sure that it's reaching the ears um, that we hope it does, so that they can find out about new resources, new stories that and perspectives that they haven't heard before. Um, and I, I hope that we can hit that goal and and hit the the diverse audience that we're looking for. Um, so. You know, there's there's those kind of challenges, definitely, where you're putting out education and you're putting out resources, and you're just really hoping that it gets to the people. It's not to the choir, right? You you, know, you don't yes, want it to yeah. all go to the choir. Um, and so we're we're listening also of of how people want us to take this and make it better, so that it is an applicable resource for 
um, the entire industry, um, the community at large as well. Just for, you know, for closing, what are some just wrapping, closing comments um, from, from the both of you on, on how we can continue this work, um, both internally here at YCH and um, I think as community at large in, in the hop and beer community? I think um, continuing to invest in things like this, like this podcast, and um, and not just YCH, but everyone in the community, um, continuing to, you know, look at the pictures on your website. Like Tiffany said, um, it's it's so interesting to go to a website and just see, um, you know, one type of person represented or whatever. And I, I know that sometimes people can think it's maybe like tokenism to to try to like make it look more diversity but i like there's more diversity um perhaps artificially but i think um, representation matters and i think seeing um someone in a role that you want to do um that looks like you um or doesn't look like everyone else is doing the role at least um is really helpful and inspiring to people and i think as an industry we could do a better job of of making sure that that's um, as visible as possible I would, I guess, challenge people to uh, take a quote-unquote risk and promote women into leadership positions, promote people of color into leadership positions, take people who don't have maybe the exact match. They don't come, they don't, they don't look like everyone else in your organization. They don't come with the same background. So maybe you feel like they won't fit in, but bringing that different perspective is likely going to enhance your customer outreach. It's going to challenge the status quo and make your your whole organization grow in a way that you you probably didn't even know was possible. Oftentimes, I think we can make really rushed decisions and decide to, um, oh, we have to hire someone right away. And so we're just going to look for the candidate that hits, checks all the boxes, uh, but we don't take time to to think about the repercussions of just hiring, you know, the person we assumed we would hire. I think it's once we put people who are different in those leadership positions, it's going to to trickle down and open doors for other people. It's, I just think there are so many ideas that, that can come out of that, uh, so much change. And I hope that that's something that we continue to, to do in, in our organization and uh, that, other, that other businesses in the hop and beer industry consider doing as well. Um, Fantastic. No, I really appreciate both of those comments. Very insightful. I think... Uh, you know, within within marketing, I work in a marketing position. It's important for me and for our team to to look at what are we what are we representing? What what photos are we selecting? What um, kind of diversity are we portraying out as a company? It's it's a easy thing to just go back look at your social media feed. What does it look like? You know, right? Uh, I did that the other day and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how am I, how am I here? And I, I'm not putting out the, the diversity that I want either, you know? And so how can we include that? So it's, it's investing. Okay. We need to book some photo shoots and making sure that we are, um, encompassing people who are, uh, a variety of backgrounds and it's, it's making sure that you're being just mindful. All right. I think there's there's small ways that you can do that. Um, it just kind of you, it's an evaluation process. It's simply taking a look back and saying, what have we done? Where do we want to go? There's some simple steps to take as a company as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not about who's already here. It's about who do we want here. Who do we want to attract, yeah. Expanding that vision, I think that will be, that can make all the difference in how you approach what you're posting or how you're training people. Yeah. How you're posting your job positions. Absolutely. How you're promoting people. Mm -hmm. All excellent point points uh both of you i think um kind of my my summary for the points that you've made the, the biggest takeaways for me were was asking for the invite right if there's not a seat ask for that invite um let's have some uncomfortable conversations let's have some uncomfortable situations to to grow and progress uh, let's be a good networker and a mentor to other women to colleagues peers how how can you build that networking community to, to build other people up Thank you both so much for being here. We truly hope that this will inspire other women and and get other organizations thinking about ways that we can combat some of these issues that the women still face today. Uh, And we wish the the best of luck to you both on your career journey. And we can't wait to see what other amazing things that you both do at YCH. So thank you. We really appreciate your time today and and your insights. Um, Using this knowledge that you, you have shared with us and some tangible ways that we can move forward with these things in mind, Uh, I think that we're on the path to create something bigger than beer.